Welcome to the Blue Jay Hunter podcast, and I'm your host, Ian Hunter. We're still waiting with anticipation for the Toronto Blue Jays to get back to 500. Uh, at this re- time of recording, Blue Jays are currently one game under 500 and are currently losing to the Tampa Bay Rays, which would put them another game under 500. So uh, it's an eternal struggle for these Blue Jays, but one which will persist. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll talk a bit about Devin Travis. We kind of sort of have a little bit of information about his status. We'll talk about the Kevin Pillar leadoff experiment and whether it should continue. Also get into the Toronto Blue Jays fans invading Safeco Field last weekend. Uh, Everyone in Blue Jays land loving it and people in Mariners land not so much and also talk about Josh Donaldson uh, being underappreciated somehow even though he's still putting up MVP like numbers and the Toronto Blue Jays are still incredibly reliant on the home run so we'll dive into that just a little bit later on and also get into your listener questions. Uh, Just a reminder you can grab the Blue Jay Hunter podcast every week on iTunes through Stitcher, or if you prefer, it's also on SoundCloud and Google Play Music. Leading off, um, we mentioned off the top, but the Blue Jays and this uh, mountain they cannot seem to climb. They are 0-4 in their attempts to reach 500, and if tonight's score holds up, that would make them 0-5 when they've had opportunities to reach 500. And it's been... Like this one goal that's just been out of their reach the past month or so. Of course, they got so far behind in in late April and early May that 500 almost didn't seem like it was feasible. But now that they are as close as they are and they've strung wins together and they have many of their core players back, it suddenly doesn't seem like such a pipe dream. But they just cannot seem to get over this hump. And the frustrating thing is that, you know, there's so many teams bunched in there right now at the 500 mark just above or just below. Two of both the wild cards currently sit in the American League East with teams uh, with records that are not tremendous. So it really feels like the Blue Jays can build some momentum entering into the All-Star break and the trade deadline, but they just for one reason or another, cannot seem to do it. And, um, you know, their ske- their upcoming schedule uh, is not not an easy one. I would say, if anything, the last four weeks have been pretty favorable for them with all the teams that they've faced. And they've performed well, which they should have done, but the true tests are going to be against these contending teams, much like that four-game series against the New York Yankees. So we finally have a a pseudo-update on Devin Travis. Uh, The latest from John Gibbons is that he could be out for a while. And that is the best timetable we have on Devin Travis, which is uh, no timetable at all. I'm basically taking that as don't expect to see him the rest of this year. I I think Arash Madani said on the broadcast that maybe... Devin Travis could be back this fall, but more than likely he's doesn't come back at all. Uh, 
which is pretty disheartening because, for one, I mean, Devin Travis has gone through so many season, well, three season-ending injuries um, in three consecutive seasons. Well, maybe I'm being a bit presumptuous with this one, but let's just say for argument's sake that it is. And he's missed a ton of time. And also the fact that he was just finally turning things around. He was one of the hottest hitters in baseball in the month of May. And then he comes out with this injury, and it was just kind of like also finally starting to build some momentum. It was quite a gut punch. So now the Blue Jays kind of have to fill in with Darwin Barney and Ryan Goins at second base, which, I mean, it's okay, but ideal. You want some offensive upside there, which means the Blue Jays now may be shopping for a second baseman, which probably isn't a bad idea. Um, I'll get to that in the questions portion of the podcast, but, you know, left field seemed like it was a uh, a giant chasm out there, but maybe that's not the biggest need. Maybe it's now second base with the status of Devin Travis. So Kevin Pillar, he's, I would safely say this, he's exceeded expectations this year with the Blue Jays. However, as of late, um, not really. I mean, I think we may be slowly coming to the end of the Kevin Pillar leadoff experiment. Uh, he was pretty good in April and May. Um, however, the last 30 days, he's hitting 192. He has a WRC plus of 61 over the last 30 days, which is kind of concerning for your leadoff hitter. Um, I feel like John Gibbons is probably not going to move him down anytime soon just because... I mean, it's John Gibbons. Once he finds someone he likes, he tends to stick with them through thick and thin. But, I mean, this is a discussion we... If things continue this way, we should probably start talking about when Kevin Pillar needs to be moved down and not uh, if he needs to be moved down. Uh, you know, maybe someone like Jose Bautista goes back into the leadoff spot like he, like he was... Uh, uh, last year and a little bit the year prior. Um, or perhaps the Blue Jays go even maybe a little weirder out of the box and go with someone like Josh Donaldson in the leadoff spot. But um, if things continue on this path, you know, the Blue Jays are not setting themselves up for success by continuing to roll out there with Kevin Pillar in the leadoff spot. And as you probably saw, the Toronto Blue Jays fans invaded Seattle. Um, most of, seemed like most of Western Canada was out there for that series uh, against the Mariners. They definitely showed up and took over that stadium. Um, it was a sea of blue. Jays fans were loud, much like they have been the last two or three years. And it's one of those things that's really awesome to watch on television. And for someone who had never, didn't know who the Blue Jays were or which team was the home team or the away team, they'd probably think that if they were watching that series, they'd probably think the Jays were the home team, which is incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you really can see anything like that, not only in baseball, but professional sports right now for a traveling team to have a response as if they're the home team. I mean, that's pretty remarkable to me. 
However, I guess some some folks in Seattle were not all too pleased with the Jays fans taking over their stadium. Um, Danny O'Neill of ESPN in Seattle, he wrote an article basically you know, chastising Jays fans for their uh, lewd behavior and their rude behavior and that he was tired of them already. Um, you know, I don't... <laughs> I don't really know how to respond to that. Um, I feel like maybe five or ten years ago, I kind of sort of felt that way when, you know, the Rogers Center was basically three-quarters empty, and whenever the Red Sox and Yankees rolled into town, it seemed like uh, there was a large Red Sox contingent and a large Yankees contingent. Fans just suddenly popping up out of nowhere, and I think those were fans in Toronto. And I mean, that was kind of annoying, but it was nowhere near this level of Jays fans just taking over Safeco Field. And I was thinking about this today, you know, like, so the Blue Jays brought in all this extra revenue for Safeco Field, which in turn goes back to the Mariners, which, you know, maybe it helps them sign a free agent or or something, so... In essence, the Jays fans are actually, in the long run, helping the Seattle Mariners and helping the Seattle economy by spending time in all of their hotels and and eating in all the restaurants. So, I mean, really, Mariners fans should be thanking the Jays for that kind of attendance because I think I looked at their numbers and their average something like 22,000, 25,000 throughout the season that one game on Sunday I believe it was 40,000 plus which you haven't seen in Seattle all season long so uh, the long and the short of it is you're welcome Uh, Josh Donaldson I mean he's basically an MVP whenever he's on the field I feel like he doesn't doesn't really get the appreciation he deserves Uh, watching him in his return from the disabled list has been Nothing short of amazing. I mean, he's he's proven that he is one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. He's a true pleasure to watch. And the way he's been playing, I feel like even if the Jays kind of dip down a bit and further in the standings, I don't think the Jays are going to deal him at the trade deadline. Maybe they explore that possibility in the offseason, but he's just... He's performing way too way too good right now. Um, if you subtract him from the Blue Jays, I, I don't know if they really have a shot even at getting even close to the playoffs. So they, I feel like they need to keep him right now. But I think every once in a while it's important to kind of take a step back and appreciate that Josh Donaldson is a Toronto Blue Jay. Lastly, on the news part, um, there's something I'm working on for the sporting news, uh, which you can probably check out early next week, about which Major League Baseball teams are most reliant on the home run. Uh, So which teams generate the bulk of their offense via home runs. And as of now, you probably won't be surprised to know that the Blue Jays are pretty much at the top of that list. Um, when they hit home runs, they tend to win. And when they don't, it's home runs are hard to come by. And that's kind of reminiscent of 
like the last half of the season last year, not so much in 2015. I mean, they just kind of pounded the ball everywhere. It wasn't just, they weren't reliant on home runs in 2015, but uh, last year they were kind of one dimensional in the second half. And so far this year, I feel like they're also kind of one dimensional as well. It's just, it's the, they just tend to struggle to generate offense with extra bases that aren't, home runs like stringing together doubles is something I mean I have to go back to see the last time the Blue Jays did that you know the home run stuff is fun it's great um, it changes the game in a hurry but I don't know if that is sustainable over the course of a full season you can't expect them to hit two three home runs every single night it's just not going to happen whereas if you have a lot of doubles hitters a lot of extra base hitters maybe that is more sustainable I'm not even going to say the B word. I don't. That's that is not the way you generate offense, uh, especially on this team, because nobody can seem to get a bunt down. But it's that's kind of the culture. That's the those are the guys that they have. And unless you dramatically shift and acquire a bunch of, you know, sloppy extra base hitters, I don't think much is going to change. So coming up after the break, we'll get into your Listener questions, lots of questions this week. Um, Blue Jays had their draft earlier this week. Also had a few emails about uh, some Blue Jays prospects. And now the Blue Jays, you know, suddenly maybe buyers in the trade deadline instead of sellers. So uh, lots of questions about that. That's coming up here on the Blue Jay Hunter podcast. All right, we'll enter your questions here on the Blue Jay Hunter podcast, and we'll start it off with a question from Katie. She's asking, who do you see as a viable trade candidate to play in left field for the Blue Jays? Left field is uh, definitely a concern, especially in recent weeks. Uh, Chris Coughlin and Ezekiel Carrera have looked awful in the outfield, um, you know, botching like everyday plays. Zeke can't seem to hit the cutoff man for some reason. Um, he often looks like he's going to collide either with Pilar or whoever else is in the outfield. That's kind of concerning. But Zeke has been actually pretty good offensively. Uh, Chris Coughlin, you know, I mean, I feel like he's kind of going to be DFA'd maybe as soon as Steve Pierce is activated from the DL, which could be later this week. So, uh, in terms of guys to play left field, um, I, you know, there's a lot, there's a ton of them out there. I feel like they're a dime a dozen. So the Jays shouldn't have to give up a lot to get a corner outfielder. Maybe someone like, uh, bringing back Milky Cabrera. That's, that's an option. Uh, Jay Bruce has been bandied about with the Blue Jays for years. Perhaps that's a possibility. Maybe even someone like Rajay Davis, uh, you know, that could be an interesting option in the outfield. It also gives the Blue Jays a bit of speed, something which they are uh, severely lacking. So those are kind of three options. Um, most of them may be better than what the Blue Jays have internally, but um, secretly I'm kind of hoping that, you know, Steve Pierce is like just barely above replacement level and doesn't botch everyday plays and that will... Um, kind of automatically make him the best option the Blue Jays have. Um, 
And maybe in secret, I don't know, someone like Andrew McCutcheon is maybe my my kind of dream get for the outfield, although overall he hasn't had an incredible season so far with the Pirates. Um, he's been hitting well as of late, but I don't know if he's what the Pirates would desire in terms of prospects to get him, but that he would probably be my dream get for left field. Uh, so Simon... Uh, emailed a question he's he asked with Bradley Jones recently promoted at what point do you see Bichette and Guerrero Jr. being promoted as well when do you think this will happen and do you think one or both might make the jump from low A to double A or is it all but guaranteed that the promotion would be to Dunedin Uh, so I've said this a few times on the podcast but it seems like uh, this organization or sorry this um the new wave of the front office with Ross Atkins and, and Mark Shapiro, they're a bit more methodical with their prospects and promoting them. It's not, oh, okay, this guy's pitching hot in double A, let's bring him up. I mean, you saw Anthony Alford called up and Dwight Smith Jr., but that was because the Blue Jays needed an outfielder. They had nobody else. Um, in a perfect world, that the Blue Jays probably didn't even have, shouldn't have to bring them up. But they did. Uh, so especially with someone like Bichette and Guerrero Jr., I wonder if they may actually play out the season in Lansing uh, the entire year. I mean, it would be cool to see them make the jump to Dunedin or maybe even New Hampshire. But, you know, I have to remember that these guys are, I think they're 17, 18 years old. Like... <laughs> They've, they've they've got a really long way to go, and I would hate to rush them too quickly. And I honestly, I just kind of want to see them as a fan. I want to see them rake at every level and then graduate. So, uh, in my opinion, I think they should probably stick in Lansing, and maybe next year they do. Uh, skip a level and go to double A and get promoted. But as of now, I'd probably honestly keep uh, Bichette and Guerrero Jr. down in Lansing. And also, it's, it you know, gives <laughs> Jays fans another, uh, or, well, two really good reasons to go down to uh, to uh, Lansing and check out the Lugnuts because, uh, I mean, it's something I'm trying to do this summer. Uh, plans are f- filling up suddenly, but... It's a uh, it's a really cool stadium. They just renovated it uh, this past year, so it's uh it's definitely somewhere to check out. And lots of awesome Jays prospects down there right now. Um, so I had a few questions about the draft, uh, which which happened earlier this week. And to be honest, I mean, I know there's other other sites, other writers out there who really go into depth about uh, drafts and prospects and whatnot. I Honestly, I'm not all that knowledgeable about it. Um, so the Jays took Logan Warmoth, Warmoth, uh, 23rd overall. He's a shortstop. And then Nate Pearson, who's 28th overall. He's a right-handed pitcher. My experience with the draft was um, I enjoyed the videos of Nate Pearson's family and friends who were videotaping their own reactions when they found out that he was drafted by the Blue Jays and they all started freaking out, which was 
Um, cool to see. I mean, you've seen you've seen that for before, but I don't know if I've ever seen that happen to a Blue Jays prospect where they were excited to come to Toronto. I mean, oftentimes you hear from players like in the 90s that got drafted by the Blue Jays that they didn't really know where Toronto was or they thought it was, you know, under snow 10 months of the year. But now it seems like the the perception of Toronto and, and the Blue Jays as an organization is shifting. So, I mean, that was fun to see. I, I really enjoyed watching those videos, and that's, you know, essentially my my knowledge of the draft. I, I wish I knew more, but uh, unfortunately I don't. So Michelle is asking, will we see more Let's Rise promo ads as Canada's only team? Their voice is the light of hope for many. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, seems like they kind of have a new one every month. Uh, last month was Stroman. This month was Estrada. Seems kind of odd to me. I haven't seen Josh Donaldson in a, in a promo ad, but yeah, it's it's basically like they've got a a campaign that runs every month with a new player. Um, maybe someone like Jose Bautista is in there as well. But the other thing too is you've kind of got to wonder, okay, which players are safe? Which ones are we okay to put in? Because you know, you've got the trade deadline coming up. Maybe somebody moves. Who knows? But you'll, I mean, you'll probably see one soon, Michelle. Um, Derek is asking, would a trade with the Tigers, Justin Upton and Ian Kinsler, get the Jays past the ALCS? In my heart, uh, yeah, I would. I, I mean, I would love that. But I think there's no, there's no way the Jays touch Upton's contract. He is owed. Uh, 80, 88 and a half million over the next four years. So, <laughs> I mean, the Jays already have a ton of guys, uh, well, three already who are going to be 20 plus million in 2018 and would make another. So you've all almost got a hundred million tied up in four guys. Um, that's kind of scary to me, especially for a team who's you know, really is kind of sort of maybe looking for a pseudo rebuild in the next, in the next few years. Ian Kinsler, on the other hand, especially with uh, Devin Travis going down, I mean, he's he's kind of an intriguing option to me. He's got a $12 million option for next year. Um, and especially with Travis down, maybe Kinsler is, is a better get. Um, I wonder if J.D. Martinez might be the more intriguing outfield option. He's a free agent at the end of this year, so Jays would have to give give up less in terms of prospect capital or, or guys off the big league roster. So I think more than likely you're looking at a trade like that rather than um, big-ticket guys like Upton or Kinsler. And Chris is asking, what will the Jays go for in trade talks? Left field? Um, sort of answered that earlier, uh, up until this week, uh, left field seemed like a priority and as bad as Zeke and Coughlin have been in the outfield, um, I don't think it's a, a giant concern. I don't, the Jays aren't giving away games in left field. I feel like the offense that Zeke brings kind of sort of makes up for it. Chris Coughlin, on the other hand. Not really. So maybe left field is not the area 
where the Jays need to prioritize. I mean, ideally you want to get another left fielder out there, but maybe Steve Pierce does come back and uh, kind of regain some of that form where when he was with the Rays. Um, but I think, yeah, I th- now suddenly the infield is maybe seems like a more of a priority, um, a second baseman as, as we talked about a Kinsler or someone like that. Werner's spokesman uh, is asking, and, and by the way, Werner's a, an excellent, excellent beverage uh, with Travis likely out super long term. Second base rental has to be at the forefront of deadline adding, right? Kendrick Cozart, please no Goins or Barney. I would tend to agree. Um, John Gibbons basically said that Goins and Barney are kind of going to platoon for the time being. Um, and a, I, as fun as it was to watch Goins there for a little while, I feel like he that magic is kind of gone. Darwin Barney, you, you kind of know what to expect from him. Basically, replacement level offense and and a plus glove, but he's not an intriguing everyday option. So uh, we, we covered some of the options at second base. Ian Kinsler to me is probably, you know, one of the uh, more intriguing options. Uh, Jonah Carey put out an article for the athletic this week. And I believe you mentioned someone like Harrison from the pirates is a interesting option in the infield, although he's under contract for a few more years. So the Jays, would have to give up more in that respect. So those are a few options. Um, it's pri- it's going to cost the Jays more than going out and getting a, a left fielder, but uh, that that's probably going to be a big priority for them right now. Wes is asking, which prospects are for sale right now, considering we only have an out- outside shot at um So I'm not, Wes, I'm not sure if you mean which prospects the Jays should be trying to get or which ones they should be trying to sell in trade. Um, I think Drew mentioned this on uh, this week's Birds All Day, but he basically said any prospect other than Vlad Jr.'s is on the table. And I would tend to agree. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys, are, especially at the lower levels, are you know, they're like lottery tickets, right? Um, it feels like right now that Bichette and Guerrero Jr., they're going to be future Hall of Famers, especially with Guerrero Jr., just the way they've been touted and the way they're killing it right now in single A. But a lot can happen in between those levels, and these guys are super young. So they're still so early in their development and I I would, if the right player comes up, I feel like any of these guys are dispensable. However, you know, the Jays have not had a really good history of developing position players. And the way to make yourself a perennial contender is to have guys that are young under contract and cheap and the only way to do that is really is to draft and develop your own everyday position players so maybe that means uh, the pitchers are disposable like Connor Green Sean Reed Foley so if a team comes to the Jays and says hey I want I want 
one or both of these guys and it's a high caliber player I almost feel like it behooves the Jays to make that move whereas if it's a position player they'll probably be a little more apprehensive to do that deal and we've got a question here from Blue Jay Brody other parks have excellent shenanigans on field during the commercials mascot races hot dog races lots of races what can we do well I don't know if you remember, but many years ago, the Blue Jays had uh, the El, El Ranchero Chili Race, where three different chilies uh, were dressed up and would race down the left field line. Um, I mean, it was mildly entertaining. Um, <laughs> you know, it's nowhere near as, as fun to watch like hot dogs or uh, U.S. President's Race, you know, things like that. I feel like if the Jays were to bring something like bring that in now, it'd be kind of gimmicky and forcing it down people's throats. Now, here's a fun thing. Here's something really cool I would like to see. Let's bring back every single mascot uh, the Blue Jays have had. So let's go back to, you know, BJ Birdie, Domer. Um, we can, we've got ACE, maybe we'll get diamond. We can bring diamond back. Let's get them all back and race the mascots, the old blue Jays mascots. I mean, that would be something incredibly fun to watch. So, um, I, I don't know if they're all licensed. I feel like certain people own the rights to these characters, but how cool would that be to watch BJ birdie race his arch nemesis bird ace uh down the left down the left field line it would be it would be awesome so i'm all for it uh, matt is asking it's been years since the o-dog combo if the dome had a new concessions combo named after a player what should it be um so the jays currently have the i don't know if they still have it but they have the grilled cheese jason grilly grilled cheese sandwich which I mean, I don't know why they didn't do that earlier. That seems that's kind of a no-brainer to me. It's got to be. It has to be something with Josh Donaldson, and let's let's do this. So he's one of the he's now one of the members, one of the members of the prestigious Fifth Deck Home Run Club. So let's do a five-decker burger. Uh, with five patties because in major league ballparks if you've got to go big because everyone's looking for the that novelty item at the ballpark i mean i don't know how many people are going to actually finish a five patty burger but i mean you've got it you've got to go for it so matt let's do that we'll do the five the the fifth deck josh donaldson burger and uh, we got to get bacon in there somehow. It's, it seems odd to not have bacon on a burger. So uh, let's pitch that idea and see if the Blue Jays bite. David is asking, 2014 Navarro versus current Maley, uh, Luke Maley. Well, um, Luke Maley is, you know, providing a next to nothing on offense, and Navarro was okay in 2014. So pretty much uh, anybody would be better than Luke Maley offensively uh but Maley is you know I, I mean he holds his own uh defensively and I guess he's been a pretty good receiver 
And I mean, it just goes to show you, like the Jays had, they had salty there for like three, three weeks of the regular season, four weeks. I can't, I can't remember when they DFA'd him, but so not only could salty not hit, he, the most egregious part of his game was he was a bad receiver. Like he was taking balls out of the zone. He was turning strikes into balls and at the very least, you know, Luke Maley can receive the ball well, which is, I mean, all you can really ask of a backup catcher. I mean, if they can provide anything, I mean, anything on offense whatsoever, it's so, so long as he can receive well, uh, Maley will have a, a spot on this roster. And AGB, last question for this week, is asking, Better prospect name, Rowdy Tellez or Brock Lundquist? Um, I would, I'm going to veer towards Rowdy Tellez simply because it's, every time I think, every time I see the name, it's just, it screams WWE superstar to me. Uh, Brock Lundquist kind of sounds, it's got like a Ivan Drago, Rocky type feel for me. Um, it's sort of like a supervillain, Bond villain type sounding name, but Rowdy Telez is just, to me, sounds a little bit cooler. So that's it for this week's edition of the Blue Jay Hunter podcast. Lots of great questions this week. Thank you, everyone, for sending them in. It, uh, it was fun answering those ones. And uh, yeah, that's it. That wraps it up for this week's edition of the podcast. We'll be back again next week. I'm Ian Hunter, and we'll talk to you again next week on the Blue Jay Hunter podcast. Okay.